So there's a third grade boy who sort of saunters up to his teacher's desk at the front of the classroom <clears throat> near the whiteboard. And he looks at the piles on her desk. There's graded papers, there's ungraded papers, but he sees poking out a familiar booklet. It's, it's the Weight Watchers booklet. And he recognizes it and he looks at his teacher and goes, yeah, my mom does that too. Didn't work for her either. <laughs> I, I heard that story this week, and the first thing I thought of was, I got to be honest, sometimes I think Christianity works or at least feels the same way. There have been so many starts, well-intentioned efforts. There has been so many gestures that I feel like I have made in my life that didn't materialize or develop as I had hoped. And I think most Christians have likely at one time or another been really motivated to live a life devoted to Christ. Maybe we adopt some new spiritual disciplines. We, we watch our language. We at least try and put on best behavior because we want to live a life set apart. You might have even quit a job for ethical reasons. You're like, this, does, this is not congruent with what I believe is true. Or, or maybe you distance yourself from some kind of cruddy buddies. Maybe you made sacrifices because you thought it might please God. Can I just say, that's called holiness. And it's the easiest thing to give up on um, without really ever getting started. And I would like to suggest that holiness is more doable than you might think. If you have your, your phone with you and you want to pull open our app, some of the sermon notes are on there. We have an outline under the, the notes section for message content, and you can kind of jot in some of your own notes. We're building out a series based on a passage of scripture that I was studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the key verse of that, it's, it's 26 through 31, but the key verse of that is, it is because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. I wanted to take uh, a consideration of what it means to be rooted in Christ and for that wisdom that transcends the ages to operate in righteousness and holiness and redemption. So last week, we talked about the wisdom of righteousness, how simple acts of outward acts of charity, of mercy, of compassion, patience, doing our jobs as leaders, as workers, as parents are all spiritual and that can actually grow in our daily life. And this week, I want to talk about holiness. Holiness which is learning to see that certain things are reserved for and dedicated to God. Most of us don't process the holiness in our own lives, but I would like to suggest that holiness is not only attainable, it's within reach. And I'm afraid the idea of holiness doesn't really register on our radar, maybe because holiness feels holier than thou. 
or maybe it feels unattainable. But the pursuit of holiness is what develops intimacy with God. This is not just some generic knowing. This is a personal, intimate encounter. And holiness becomes the vehicle to pursue it. <clears throat> so let me explain it this way. If righteousness is our outward acts that we do, holiness becomes those inward priorities, those inward convictions that we keep. And the two primary ways that we grow in holiness are through our first fruits and a Sabbath day. Now, you've probably never thought of holiness in those terms. But in other words, holiness is about our priorities and our convictions. So let me spend time talking about those two things. First, first fruits. The practice of our first fruits as a reminder of who God is in our lives. If we want to grow in holiness, that is intimacy with God, we need to recognize that all that we have is a gift from God. Now, we might apply much effort and skill and acumen, but at the end of the day, holiness are those things that we reserve for and dedicate to God. Maybe the best example I can think of out of scripture is when the Israelites, after wandering through the desert for 40 years, they didn't need to, but there was some confusion about who God was in their life. There was some complaining about who God was in their life. There were some unmet expectations about who God was supposed to be in their life. But they finally get to the shore of the Jordan, and they're about to cross into the promised land. And God had said, this land is yours, but you have to take it. There's giants in the land. <clears throat> It's yours, but you still need to conquer it. And the first city upon crossing the Jordan in the promised land was the city of Jericho. There's kind of a well-known story about Jericho. There was this way that they, they took captive uh, the city of Jericho. And in that process, uh, they were given very specific instructions. Now, the people of God would begin this new chapter in this new land, and they would find ways to serve God in every part of their lives. Now, the city of Jericho was a beautiful, almost resort-like town. In fact, it was referred to as the city of Palms. Now, if you were going to found your country, why not start with the best land who also had a fortified wall around it? Let's Let's kick those people out and start our kingdom right with Jericho. Well, shortly before the attack on Jericho came, Joshua wanders up and he sees a man standing there with a sword drawn uh, in his hands. Joshua looks at this intimidating figure and he looks at him and he says, uh, are you for us or are you with our enemies? And this angel of the Lord this man with a sword drawn says to him, neither. But he told Joshua that he was the commander of the Lord's army. So he wasn't for the Canaanites and he wasn't going to be for the Israelites, but he gave him very specific commands in that moment. He said, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. 
So the question I'm reading, I'm asking when I'm reading this is, what is it in this moment that made this ground holy? Well, it was to be reserved for and dedicated to God. And these were the commands that he gave him. The, he also said, I'm going to give you this land, but cursed be the man who would rebuild this city. In other words, this land was to be conquered, but it was also to be reserved for as a tithe dedicated to God. So if anyone in years later would rebuild this land, it would cost them their firstborn. And this prophetic word proved true as we read throughout scripture. Now, Joshua falls face down before the messenger and he listened to him explain the plan of attack. Now, this is a well-known story many of you are familiar with, but I'm simply trying to illustrate the principle of holiness as it relates to first fruits. The Israelites were to take six days and march around the city walls one time each day. It would take about an hour for the army to march around. But on the seventh day, they were supposed to march around it seven times. Again, many of you are familiar with the story, but the point is this. This choice land was to be reserved for God. And as they entered the promised land, Jericho became Israel's first fruits. Instead of capitalizing on it, they dedicated it. Recognizing that God had provided the victory, they gave the city to God and trusted that he provide further victories. Well, what did they do on that seventh day? They marched around it seven times, and on their final march, they blew trumpets, and they shouted, and the walls collapsed. Now, what is absolutely not fascinating fascinating at all about this episode is that this military battle has never been studied or repeated in the history of warfare. Why? Because it was all God. There was nothing to glean from this in terms of strategic battle planning. And that's the point. God gets all the credit. And as they begin to take captive of the land that was promised, by faith they begin to conquer intimidating foes. And this first city, this resort-like city, you could say was the tithe of the promised land. God had given all of the land to him, but he said, I want you to reserve this premier land for me. Don't rebuild it. Destroy it completely. I know it would be really convenient because the walls are already built and provide a formidable defense. Don't. Trust me. Conquer the land. And here's the point. First fruits are what we reserve for God by acknowledging that it's God who gives us the capacity for you and I, God gives us the capacity for our education, for our health, for our gainful employment, for our skill set. Yes, you might have applied yourself, but when we choose to walk in holiness, what we're really doing with the first fruits of our life is we're saying, God, I recognize that everything comes from you, and I'm going to give you the very best, the very first of the fruits 
back to you as a reminder that you are the author and you are the perfecter and you are the source of it all. And if we want to deepen our trust in God, and can I just say, I think we all battle trusting God, especially when things get stretched thin, prioritize your giving as an act of worship. As you see your bank account grow, go back up at the beginning of each month, celebrate God's provision by tithing back the first fruits of your income. This is one discipline that keeps me rooted in the reality that everything I have is reserved for and dedicated to God because it all comes from God. Now, a couple of years ago, and some of you might be familiar with my story, but we were looking at some very lean margins. My wife was in grad school. We had medical bills. We had home repairs that required us to take out a loan. We had a car that was making noises and had over $200,000, or excuse me, 200,000 miles. And I was thinking, I can't really afford right now to be giving to the Lord. And in that moment, it was like I heard the voice, are you going to stop trusting me now? And are you going to take this on yourself or are you going to trust me with the first fruits? Because I'm faithful. And I remember thinking as we were tithing each month, God kept meeting our needs. We didn't go hungry. We certainly didn't go homeless. We never lacked. It just got, well, thin. But God was never not faithful. And my point is this, we will always be tempted to withhold our surrender or take control and say, God, it's really hard to trust you. And so oftentimes what happens is we develop a tipping mindset that after we've kind of met all of our obligations, we'll give a little leftover, uh, what's leftover to God. And I would like to suggest that the best way to walk in intimacy and trust with God, to choose the path of holiness, the first way we do that is with our first fruits. Now, let me just say a final word about first fruits as an act of holiness, is that there is a biblical precedent, particularly in the Old Testament, where we see people giving a tenth of their income, a tenth of their harvest, their yield, their, um, their crops, their livestock, as an offering to God. 10% is a very biblical number. But I would say that when we get to the New Testament, we don't really see the same kind of 10% precedent. And what I see in the New Testament is Jesus comes and he doesn't reserve any part of himself as giving his whole life as obedience to God, but for our sake. In other words, he removes the sort of 10% and he just surrenders his whole self, recognizing that everything in life is a gift. Everything in life is God's alone. And so he gives his entire life. So when we get to the New Testament, we have this almost new precedence for what it means 
to give of ourselves. So there is a biblical precedence for systematic giving that is 10%. I believe we should look at the first fruits of our income and start to begin there. But I wouldn't want you to stop there because I believe God is constantly bringing into our, our awareness opportunities to give of our time, our talents, and our treasures, these offerings to God. So nowhere in scripture do we find the idea of arrival. So just because we arrive at 10%, just because Jesus had given his whole life in utter obedience, didn't keep him from surrendering his physical body for our redemption. So my encouragement to you is to choose holiness, intimacy, trust with God, so that you begin to give all of yourself, beginning with our first fruits. Because we recognize that my whole life in Christ is but an offering. The second piece that we see holiness being fleshed out throughout all of Scripture in the people of God is a Sabbath rest. The first idea is through first fruit giving. The second is through Sabbath. Now, if we want to look at our lives, the two things that we're going to have to evaluate as most important, what are we most careful with? What are we most guarded with? Our time and our money. And so the Sabbath was this idea to nurture holiness within us. Now, what's interesting is the fourth commandment gets repeated. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, it says, observe the Sabbath day, that is that day that we do gathering together as we're doing right now, as we were supposed to do in, in reopening corporate worship, by keeping it holy as the Lord has commanded you. So, let me explain a little bit about Sabbath. It was something that began on Friday evening and went through Saturday evening when the first three stars appeared. It was a day set apart and it became very legalistic. There were certain things that you could and very specific things that you could not do. Certain weights that you could not carry, certain chores that you could not perform. There were certain distances that you could not walk and it became burdensome and legalistic. But that's not what Jesus came to do. And he comes to liberate all of the sort of religiosity out of it. And Sabbath is considered the most important Jewish holiday. Let me explain. More than Yom Kippur, more than Passover. It's like saying to you and I, our Sunday worship, what we come together to do as the body of Christ, our community, our fellowship, our, our study of God's word, our serving each other when we come is more important than attending church on Christmas and Easter. That's the New Testament precedent, priority, preeminence on what Sabbath is supposed to do. This is the one day a week marked by spiritual rest, holiness, and joy. Now, Sabbath is supposed to be a standing appointment with family, with friends, with prayer, with reading, with worship and the word. And the Sabbath meal 
which was always central to the worship experience, kind of how when we come together as tribes, we often share a meal, or when we come together after church and we break bread together, or when we do the communion, the Eucharist together, they would sing table songs. And hearing this, I hope it makes holiness feel much more doable because we're setting a priority on this weekly time to re-engage with this presence of God in our life. Now, when Jesus got in trouble for healing on the Sabbath, doing what you're not supposed to do on the one holy day, he asked the question, is Sabbath created for people or are the people created for Sabbath? And the answer is, you and I, are created for a day that is set apart and unto the Lord. And the process of holiness develops when Christians come together as Christ's body. Now, the problem is, is that this day, this Sunday experience, this corporate worship experience is becoming less and less of a priority. I have been in ministry for 25 years, and I remember thinking, and we talking about it 20-some years ago, that an average church attender, we're lucky to get to show up twice a month to come and do worship. In fact, when I was growing up, we didn't have youth sports on Sundays. There wasn't much planned before noon on Sundays. But now that recognition is like it's like we're lucky to get a regular church attender, a good Christian family showing up to church one out of four Sundays a month. Something's changed. Our culture has shifted away from this standing appointment. And now it's, it's nothing to have a sporting event, a, a, a youth, a, a kid's birthday party, and we're missing the priority of worship and we're robbing ourselves of this and, and, and being confronted with, I believe, a crisis of holiness. Listen, I once taught a message a few years back on a recovery Sunday, and I illustrated the nature of recovery this way. It doesn't matter if we're healed in an instant or if we spend 20 years practicing sobriety, going to meetings, collecting the coins, working the steps, finding a sponsor, but finding someone else to sponsor. In both cases, it is a miracle of God that we find sobriety. Holiness is the exact same way. Day in and day out, week in and week out, making sure the things that are most important to God are most important to us. And, and this standing appointment that we call Sabbath rest is not a rest of inactivity. It's a, it's, it's a prioritizing, it's a conviction of spiritual engagement. How else will our hearts be sensitized for what moves God's heart? And holiness is something that we experience personally, but we learn it in community. I'm going to say that one more time because I want that to settle in. It's, it's in the notes, but if you're not taking notes, let me, let me say that again. 
Holiness is something we experience personally, but we learn it in community. Isaiah 58, uh, beginning in, in verse 13, says these words. He says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing it as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land, to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. In other words, God's presence, our awareness of God's presence will be made known. How else are we going to resensitize our hearts from the rest of what the world is telling us, demanding from us? See, we're called by scripture to both remember and guard the Sabbath day in order to dedicate a day that's devoted to the things that matter most in our spiritual lives. Now, from the beginning, Sabbath day was the Lord's day so that it could be used not for personal gain, it was not to be a day that you would catch up on work, answer emails, prep for the work week. Sabbath is supposed to be an expression of faith to say, God, I have more to do, but I trust you with results. And what I've done is enough. I've prepared enough already. Sabbath is for our personal and spiritual renewal. It's like a weekly date with God so that you and I begin to nurture things like, well, trust, intimacy through worship and the fellowship and the teaching of his word and communion, both with God and, and each other. Sabbath rest is supposed to be intentional activity, not leisure not recreation, not relaxing on the couch. It's time dedicated to and reserved for God. And that's what makes it a holy pursuit. In fact, um, I worry for us because we've lost the priority of corporate worship. It's become something that we fit in when something else hasn't crowded it out. And I gotta tell you, if you're a parent here today, one of the best things you can do in exercising spiritual leadership at home is protect the Lord's day and particularly us gathering as Christ's body together. There will be lots of kids' birthday parties, and lots of youth sports. There will be lots of really good ball games to watch and golf tournaments to view. But can I suggest to you, if we say that Christ is preeminent, our relationship with God is paramount, and in our home, we're going to serve the Lord, can I suggest to you, by putting a higher premium on the gathering of the saints, as your pastor, but as someone who's parented for 20 years, can I make that statement? Because it makes a difference. Now, let me just also add this, because it's very easy to think it's not that big of a deal to miss church. And I'm saying 
100% you're right. In fact, it is really hard for any of us to see growth week in and week out. Have you ever been on a diet? Have you ever been really committed to a gym workout? Have you ever been committed to strengthening your physical body or doing little things financially to kind of get yourself in a better position? It's really hard to feel the difference one day or one week makes in light of the grand scheme of things. It's hard to feel the difference that a worship service or a tribe meeting actually makes, but it does. Every week, we're simply tilling the soil, seeding our hearts, learning to pray, and working on the desires of our heart to become more like God's. Last weekend, I went and spent time with people I had not been with for almost 20 years. And you know what I, it occurred to me? And I shared this with Dalen and Damaris, who are sort of at the front end of their pastoral journey. And I said, it's really hard to be in the trenches every week with people. We're doing tribes. We're doing really cool events. We're, 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 being, we're being the church together. We're hosting meetings. But it's really hard to evaluate what growth really looks like. But when you get to spend time with people who stayed the course, and have outlined this priority, this conviction for Christ in their life. I saw people, school teachers, tutors, parents, who looked like a testimony of transformation. It was small, simple steps that practice the holiness in making God first and making his body critically important to their daily and weekly lives. See, none of us ever have the feeling that we're having a necessarily holy day any more than we feel ourselves growing. But what does happen week by week, month by month, year after year, is that our desires, our attitudes, our motivations change, our hunger our concern, our leadership, they all grow. And the wisdom of holiness becomes transformational when we choose it. And if I could encourage you, holiness is the thing that's within reach. Holiness, doable, everyday and ordinary holiness come when we share these convictions to say, God, all that I have is yours. And rather than taking possession of all the land and all of my abundance, I'm going to systematically give back to you as a discipline to remind myself that you are a good God and you're the source. And then secondly, where we prioritize the people of God and our corporate worship experience, because frankly, we can't work out our holiness in isolation we learn holiness when we practice it in community. Can I pray for you? Our Father in heaven, I'm aware that holiness feels distant at time and it feels like something um, that I don't often even aspire to. But then I'm reminded of your word and what you call us into, where we see righteousness are acts of charity and mercy and compassion and patience, and generosity. What we learn about holiness is that it's this inner conviction 
and a reprioritizing of our hearts so that we don't lose sight of you. And what your word says is to seek first your kingdom and, and your righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto us. And so I pray for my friends. I pray for the testimony of Mission Hills. I pray for what we do when we come together and what happens in us so that what happens through us might be a reflection of, of a people that are set apart, that are stronger because of their commitment to you. I pray that we would have a growing awareness of your presence in our life and trust you with the things in our life that we want to take back. So we pray for your wisdom gifts and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.